is uh, some of our, uh, the things that we value are the things that uh, churches all over the place value. And then some things are, I think, maybe kind of our unique little uh, core DNA. Uh, I t- last week, I, I mentioned that, that, that one of the things that the gospel says is that God, uh, God deposits something in our lives that then we're supposed to, we're responsible for. And that, that we're participating in something that started long before we came around. And one of the values that we've come to really appreciate in, in our movement and in our church here, and individually, many of us, is the value of mercy. Mercy. Now, you hear that word, and it just sounds good, doesn't it? Mercy. I mean, doesn't it make you feel good when you hear that word? But I don't think, really, as long as I've been doing this, I don't think people really get mercy the way they think they do. And I think a lot of us think we're experiencing mercy more than we really are. And I think a lot of us think we're showing mercy more than we really are. And what I want to do today is look at a little short story in the Gospel of Mark about mercy. And I think it contains four really crucial lessons about mercy, points, insights about mercy that, that if you don't get mercy, you will not get in any meaningful way the life that God offers you. And I'm saying that a lot of us don't get it. I don't know who here doesn't get it. But I know everyone, as I was reading this passage, just, it just reminded me of things that, that uh, I'd forgotten. And I think it's, it's an important, as we talk about our DNA and our vision and our mission as a church and kind of where we're going, that we get this thing of mercy. So in Mark chapter 10, oh, uh, there is some, you guys might have already gotten a little outlines out there. Mark chapter 10, the story we're going to read begins in verse 46. It says, then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a man, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many in the crowd rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you, throwing his cloak aside. He jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi I want to see. Jesus, go, go, Jesus said. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And uh, thank you for just the, the depth of your wisdom and all that you have for us. Uh, we need to see into what you have for us today. So open our eyes, speak to us out of your word today. Let the Holy Spirit illuminate our hearts and and show us uh, your mercy in Jesus' name. Amen. So 
this little story, story that we read uh, has a lot in it. I'm just going to point out these four simple insights that I think if each one of them, uh, I think if you wanted to, this, each day this week, you could take one of these insights and just meditate on it and just go, wow, what does this mean? Uh, the first insight I think you can see from this is that God delights in showing mercy. God delights in showing mercy. He enjoys showing mercy. God is not stingy with his mercy. He, he, he has it in abundance, and he just loves to pour it out. And you can see in this situation that, that, that this man is a beggar. He's blind. And in most parts of the world where people have any kind of a disability, that makes them poor, unless they are a member of a family that has some means. But at some point, everybody grows up, and your family, you know, as you get older, your family dies, they, whatever happens. And many people in the world, the poor, many of the, uh, of the disabled are poor, and many of the poor are disabled. So Bartimaeus made his living by standing along the road, or sitting along the road, and just begging as people came by. Now just imagine, I want you to just stop for a second. Because you, you probably, as you drive around Columbus, you will find people on exit off-ramps of, of 315 or 71 who are standing with a sign asking for food or asking for money. And if you, I lived around the Ohio State campus for a long time, and I don't even know how many times people came up to me and asked me for money. And I, it was really weird. I'd walk down the street, and you could see, I could see the guy moving, walking towards me or standing there. And I'm, I'm, I'm with the crowd, 30, 40 people. You know, we're all walking together. And this guy would pick me out of the crowd every time I'd walk by. But I want you to think for a second about someone standing there holding a sign and asking you for something. Just think of how that person must feel. I mean, you, you probably feel it, uncomfortable just looking at them, right? Imagine how they feel. Imagine, you know, their world. And whatever you think about how people get there and, and the whole thing, I just want you for a moment just to stop and feel a little bit about what that must be like. Whatever, you know, whatever other considerations you want to get into about that. And when you look at this, this man, he, he asked for mercy. He said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And to, what mercy means is, is to demonstrate compassionate care for someone who's in need or in misery. Okay, so to show mercy is to demonstrate compassionate care to someone, to anyone who is in need or in misery. That that looks like what Jesus did there, doesn't it? Here was a man who was in need and, and in a sense in, in significant misery. And what could change his life would be to regain his sight. And that's what Jesus did. And if you go back in the old, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God 
describes himself as compassionate. In fact, let me, let me read an Old Testament passage. Uh, Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And he, he goes on, and he just keeps describing more of himself. And over and over, in the Old Testament and New Testament, God says, I'm compassionate. I am merciful. And there's a, there's a, a promise in Isaiah where God says, in Isaiah 49, uh, 14 and 15, I, I think I put 15 and 16, forgive me for that, misciting it. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. And Zion is is God's people. It's Israel. And the Lord responds and says, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion or mercy on the child she she is born? Though she may forget, I will not forget. Now, so he's saying, rhetorically, you may say, can a woman forget the child that she's born? Yes, there are times where through cruelty or hurt or whatever, women might do that, but that's not normal. Women are incredibly bonded to to their children. But even women may fail, but God says, I'm like that, but I'm even more than that. Now, some of us, we tend to look at masculine uh, descriptions of God, and we identify with those. And some people are uncomfortable with God using a feminine characteristic to describe himself. Do you think that women don't reflect the image of God just like men do? This is what God said here. My heart of mercy for you is the same heart of mercy that a woman has for her nursing child. And the, the Hebrew word for mercy and compassion... The root of that word is the Hebrew word for a woman's womb. And it's a a Hebrew word, you say, racham. And it means mercy. In other words, the feeling that a mother has for her baby is the feeling God has for each person who's alive. And you see women just sacrifice for their children, just so freely, just effortlessly. Yeah, I remember getting up in the middle of the night with, with our kids, one by one as they were born. They go through that season where they're up and they're sick. And, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm carrying them, and, oh, they're, they're crying. And I'm going, I'm going to die. I'm going to kill myself, you know. <laughs> oh, God, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I, I get to a point where I'm just, like, I'm about to, like, just melt down. And Kathy would, would get up and she'd walk in the room and she'd go, honey, let, just let, me, let me take care of him. And, you know, because I'm trying to let her sleep. Maybe she just had the baby. Maybe she's just tired, whatever. You know, every once in a while, it's nice to, to do that for your wife. <laughs> and uh, she would just take the little guy or girl and just stand there. And, and they would, you know, sometimes they didn't immediately just go, oh, and calm down, right? That did happen. 
But sometimes they would just keep crying and she just had this patience and this endless sense of compassion and mercy on them that I just went, man, you got some kind of reservoir that, like, my little reservoir is about four ounces. <laughs> you know, yours is like the Pacific Ocean. And that's what God says is. His compassion is like that. You ever seen that? Have any of you guys ever seen that? Your wives do that with your kids? Now, I'm, I'm sure women have their limits too. Because we're all human. But he's saying, I won't forget you. Meaning, that word forget, that's an idiom for when you're really in need, I will not forget you. I will be there. My heart is inclined towards you. No matter what, even if you get yourself in a mess that's of your own choosing, my heart is still inclined towards you. So God delights in mercy. And isn't it amazing to know, and this is this, to bring that point home, when we're at the, our worst moments in life, that God's like that. Doesn't that change the way you think about God to know he's really like that? He says, a woman may forget her child, but I will not forget you. God delights in showing mercy. The next thing is, God's mercy comes to us through Jesus. That's what you see in this story. This blind man says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Because he sees in Jesus, this, this, let me go back there, this, this blind man sees in Jesus that Jesus is the son of David, who's the Messiah. And what's interesting about this story as you read it here in the book of Mark, is Jesus is about to go into Jerusalem at the end of his life. And there's only two people in the book of Mark who recognize and confess who Jesus is. Peter and this blind man. So the blind man sees who Jesus really is. He's God's Messiah. And so he calls out to him in a crowd of people that included his disciples and then just people who, you know, were just part of the crowd. This man saw what they didn't see. And he knew that God was with and in this man. Now, I'm sure he didn't totally have it sorted out like we don't still. God in the flesh? How does that work? But he saw that this man, Jesus, was the fulfillment of all that he'd been taught as a Jew. That God was going to come into the world and be like King David, but be greater than David. In fact, he was going to be someone that David wrote was his own Lord, which is a term that the Jews only used and reserved for God. That God was going to come into the world as the king. And that this Jesus, this carpenter's son from Nazareth, because he said Jesus of Nazareth. That was how people would describe themselves. Like I would have been in that time John of Houston. Right? And, and, and Jason of Michigan. <laughs> just gives me just my 
<sighs> but this blind guy, I'm sorry, it was a cheap shot, Jay. <laughs> Forgive me. Michigan won, so I got to take it out on you. He saw Jesus of Nazareth, but he saw he wasn't just Jesus of Nazareth. He wasn't just another good teacher, prophet, rabbi, miracle worker. He was that one and only, that unique person. The, the, the hope, what, what one of the prophets said, the hope of the nations. And there he was in the crowd right near this man. That God had come near to him in Jesus. And so he cried out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And what Jesus said to him was really important to grasp. Jesus said, when he finally got over there, what do you want me to do for you? Now, you know, when I first read that, I thought, well, that's a curious question. I mean, people are bringing him over there. <laughs> He's bringing him to Jesus. And Jesus, what do you want? But Jesus often asks that to people. And this is the thing about meeting God through Jesus. This is where there's, it, it, it gets... Uh, a bit sharp because when Jesus said what do you want me to do for you he he'll ask all of us that it's a big question what do you really want now what's interesting is the story right before that two of Jesus's disciples who are in this crowd of people who are all around the scene they come to Jesus right after he's described to them that he's going to Go to Jerusalem, he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be killed, he's going to be buried, and he's going to rise again, and this is all God's plan. They immediately said to him, like, they just like, let that pass by, and said, we want you to do for us whatever we want, whatever we ask you. Okay, that sounds like a lot of us, oftentimes. And Jesus said, what is it you want me to do for you? The exact same phrase he asked this blind man. And you know what they said? They said, we want to sit on your right hand and your left when you're the king. And all the other disciples were there. They all got upset at this. And Jesus said, well, he just basically said, you know, I can't do that. It's only for the people for whom it's already been appointed. And when I, if I would have heard that, I would have thought, Immediately, well, that's not me. <laughs> I could tell because he would have said, oh, yeah, it is you two. You guys are sharp. You know, you're, you're appointed. You're the ones that, you know, you knew it. You sensed it. You had the humility to recognize it. In that moment, you know, <laughs> it, didn't, it took you guys a little second to get that one, didn't you? Uh, but they didn't. And they weren't. And Jesus said, well, I can't give you those two places. That's, that's you know. And you know the Bible says it's interesting. The Bible says that the last are going to be first and the first are going to be last. My guess is those two people are sitting on Jesus' right and left are going to be two people nobody's ever heard of. That, that live their lives in humility and service and sacrifice and integrity and faith. And nobody noticed them. You know? Because the Bible says that when the judgment time comes, everything's going to get turned upside down. And all the people that have power and that have misused it, they're going to be on the bottom. And all the people 
who have just lived humble, honest, trusting in Jesus, loving their neighbor lives, they're going to be the ones that God approves of. And this is a little picture of it. Jesus notices, because this is what mercy does. It notices what nobody else notices. And so this man, though, it says, he said, I want to receive my sight. And when he received his sight, he began to follow Jesus. So he didn't want to receive his sight just for his own self-aggrandizement or his own self-interest. I mean, it would have been a good, it's always a good thing not to be disabled so you can live a whole life and you can become a, a responsible part of society and, and not have to beg and live you know, the kind of life that he had lived. But it says he, he just rejoiced and he began to follow Jesus. He began to follow Jesus. And so what Jesus offers, his kingdom is far better than this bogus world system. Now, how do you know that he turned from this bogus world system? Well, if you read the stories where people begin to follow Jesus, Jesus always, because the good news is a statement of what God has done in Jesus, but with that statement, it has this invitation. And it says, the world is complete mess. You are part of the mess. But God is inviting you into this new kingdom, that his, his reign that's breaking into the world. And it's breaking in a way that, that a lot of people don't recognize. And that, in fact, they're not even attracted to because they, they're turned off by this, this way of Jesus, this life of Jesus. They're turned off by Jesus. They don't want this life that he embodied and that he makes available to all of us. And in every passage like this, you see this little moment where things pivot or where they don't. But this man, it says, when Jesus called him and he, and he, was being, he knew he was being invited to, to have his, his prayer answered, it says he threw aside his cloak and, you know, that may just be a little detail in the story that, that, you know, seems mundane and meaningless, but it's not. Because the cloak, a cloak for a beggar, was part of his trade. The cloak was something that, that would, he would wrap around him, but he would lay out in front of him. And as the people came by, he would throw, they would throw their coins on that cloak. And then he would wrap the coins up in it. And it was also something that kept him warm. And so this world system and, and how we learn to fit into it offers to provide for us and to protect us. And Jesus comes along and says, my kingdom will provide everything you need and I'll protect you. But the kingdom is experienced through me and through a relationship with me. And so you can hold on to your cloak or... You can let go of it. And like the, the song we sang, if I give it all away, you know, will you be there? That's the promise of the gospel. That's the risk. That's the risk. And see, this blind man, he saw he was in need and in misery. And it wasn't just his blindness. He knew he had sinned. He knew he was separated from God. And he understood, because the, the, it says he heard about Jesus. 
The, the story of Jesus was just everywhere. And this man, by the grace of God, understood that it applied to him. And so when the, the call came, he threw aside his cloak and he let people lead him over to Jesus. And then he had this dialogue with Jesus and he regained his sight and he began to follow Jesus. And this story, again, it, it, it has more meaning when you read what went before it. The story just before this was the story of the rich young man who was very spiritually inclined young man and he came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, you know, uh, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you know, hey, you know the commandments, keep the commandments. And he said, I've done all that since my youth. And Jesus said, one thing you lack, you love money more than you think and more than you should. And the only way you can be free of your love of money and the grip it has on your soul is you need to give it away and come follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. And it says he walked away from Jesus sad because he had so much money he couldn't let go of it. And you may think, well, does Jesus require me to give away everything to follow him? No. What Jesus requires us to give away is our cloak. Our cloak. We all have a cloak. And if you won't let go of something, that's your cloak. Is there anything you won't let go of for Jesus today? That's what you're using to provide for you and protect you. And Jesus says you have to let go of it. It's part of this bogus world system that is under his judgment because it's destroying us. See, that cloak looked like it helped him, but all it was doing was keeping him in misery and destitution. And he saw hope for something new, and he called out to Jesus, and Jesus gave him a new life. But you don't get Jesus and your old life. You can't, you, you can't, you can't take what Jesus has for you unless you let go. Do you see that? So here today, do you have a cloak? What is it? Is there anything that you're not willing to let go of? It may not be something that Jesus wants you to let go of. But in your mind, is there anything that's a sacred cow that you won't fillet? <laughs> so God delights in showing mercy. God's mercy comes to us through Jesus. But not if we don't let go of our cloak. And experiencing God's mercy often requires perseverance. Did you see that this, the, the, the tug of war this guy went through? He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And everybody starts saying, shut up. Shut up. I would say it in a more colorful way if I could here. They were, you know that people were getting on this man because he was disturbing everyone. But he, he, it says, when the harder they went at him, the louder he got. Do you see that battle? God's mercy and experiencing God's mercy often requires perseverance. Now, you may think of perseverance because I, I often tell you that our Christian life is not supposed to just be white-knuckling it through life. But there are white-knuckle moments that we have to battle through. 
This was a white-knuckle moment. But let me tell you something. There are times where you need to get louder, and there are times where you need to get quieter. Do you understand what I mean? There are times where you need to press into God, and there's times where you need to wait. And just like this man, there are times you need to ask people to help you to get to Jesus. You know what I mean by that? He's blind. There's a crowd of people. He knows Jesus has the answer. You know, on his own, he's going he's to wander through that crowd forever. I believe he said, help me. He held his hands out and said, help me to get to Jesus. We have to be humble enough to know when God is offering us his mercy, sometimes we need other people to help us get there, to position us before Jesus so we can experience what he has for us. And, and the sad thing about you know, our American culture is, the reason why I think a lot of people in America don't see grace and mercy is because we're so stinking independent. We don't wanna, we, we're willing to keep up this pretense that we're okay while we're suffering because we don't want to let people help us to get us from where we are to Jesus. Now, I don't mean that Jesus isn't right there, but when we can't connect with him, we need help, right? And sometimes we need quiet. Sometimes we need to fast. Sometimes we need people just to listen to us, listen to us complain, because complaining is a biblical, to God, appropriately, is a, a part of the book of Psalms. And I think these people didn't like the tone of the man or how weak he was. And I, I've said this over and over and over, and it's not something people like to hear, but if we don't get more comfortable with weakness, we're never going to connect with God. And if we don't get more comfortable with weakness, we will eventually become more and more hypocritical. Because we're all weak all the time. But there are points where we are particularly weak. And the pretense that our culture trains us to maintain is detrimental to our souls. And it destroys community. And it it ruins our relationship with God. Because God met this man at his point of need. All right? He didn't put on cool sunglasses and like walk over to Jesus, you know. Hey, Jesus, cool. I'm doing all right. He said, I want to see. What do you want? I want to see. And he wasn't going to take no for an answer. And that's just something I think, you know, maybe you can just wrestle with that, that point on your own and see where, you know, it takes you. So God delights in showing mercy. God, God's mercy comes to us through Jesus. God's mercy often requires perseverance. God wants us to delight in showing mercy to others. I'm just going to finish with this point. This is, this is what you can take home. Many, even disciples of Jesus, rebuked this blind man, Bartimaeus, and told him to be quiet. Why would they do that? Why would anybody be that cold-hearted and calculated? I mean, you can't read the Gospels and not see that Jesus' heart was inclined towards 
people on the outside, people that were poor, people that were messed up, people that nobody else thought much of. Jesus seemed to be magnetically attracted to those people. And the people who everyone thought so much of, Jesus didn't think quite as much of them because they thought too much of themselves. They were on the popularity train. Jesus saw the people that had been thrown off the popularity train, and he walked among them. And they were the ones who were the most receptive to him, ironically. Why do you think that they didn't want to welcome this man and, and, and see Jesus help him? I think there's a lot of reasons. I just put three down there in your notes. One is, I think they live by the values of this bogus world system. And this is something, every generation, we have to see ourselves in light of God's Word. And God's Word will shine more into our, light than, in our, into our lives than we're comfortable with. But we went, you know, we've been through periods of time, individually and collectively, and the world has, where we've realized there's certain things that we've accommodated and accepted that we shouldn't anymore. And the way they treated this man, this poor man, was horrible. But they were so invested in the world system and what it gave them. And this is the scary thing. We, we are supposed to be in this world, but not of this world. So to be in the world and to really please God, you've got to be engaged in the world. You should, have, you, know, you, should, you should have friends who aren't followers of Jesus. You should hang around with them. You should be into your job appropriately. You should be politically involved. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that Christians are afraid of. They, they don't want to soil themselves. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus came right in and became a part of this world. To the point when he was betrayed, someone had to point out who he was because he was so ordinary. He was so Jewish. He was so common. We should be like that. But we shouldn't be embracing the values, the broken values of this bogus world system. And when we do, that's, that's one of the reasons why we treat poor people like this. They forgot they had been shown mercy by God. This is what happens a lot of times. There were disciples in that crowd. And when you experience mercy, it makes you want to show mercy to other people. It changes your perception. You see people in a different light because you've seen yourself in your worst light. And you experience God's love, His, His undeserved compassion on you. And you look at other people and you realize they don't deserve it, but God loves them too. I need to treat them differently than I did before. And I, and I quote this, this passage from 1 John often, but it, I think it needs to be quoted often. We love because he first loved us. It, it, the bogus world system operates on a, I'll love you if you love me. Quid pro quo. Barter and exchange. Life is just a series of, of you know, I get something uh, if I give you something. But Jesus gave and gave and gave. In fact, the verse before this passage that we started reading, it says, The Son of Man 
did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, to show mercy, Jesus had to pour his life out. Because you may think, well, it's no skin off God's nose to heal somebody. Well, it's no big deal. He's got all the power in the world. He can do whatever he wants. But it's not just physical healing. The greatest healing of this man's soul was God's forgiveness that was going to come to him through the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus was going to give his life for this man. That's what the Son of Man was going to be. He was going to be this suffering servant. And through his suffering, we were going to find comfort. Through his, the judgment that fell on him, our sins were going to be forgiven. Through him serving, we were going to be served. All that came through Jesus. But they'd forgotten that all that was poured out on them, and they just got used to it. They became too familiar with it. You know, there's a saying, familiarity can, can breed contempt. And it's easy to, to, to forget that mercy is the currency of the kingdom. It's what make our, makes our lives alive. But it's also what will make other people's lives alive, and we're supposed to be demonstrating it to them. I think they also didn't want to pay the price of showing mercy. Like I said before, showing mercy is costly. It is costly. The currency of the kingdom is expensive. Giving that currency is expensive. For you to get it was expensive. For you to give it was expensive. There, there's no getting around that. And I think a lot of times we don't want to show mercy to other people because, hey, we don't think they deserve it like we deserved it. And I don't mean there isn't time to let people bear certain consequences of decisions because we're not supposed to enable people. But mercy is, is a severe thing. It's a wise thing. It's a strong thing. And it's embodied in Jesus. I mean, how many times have you gone back to the Lord for forgiveness for some thing that you should have stopped doing long ago? Is there anybody in this room that, that, that can say, well, that's not me, you know, I only did it once, I've stopped ever since. No, every one of us go back to the Lord over and over with things. Because it's almost like it takes a while for grace to work in, some, in, in our hearts, right? Well, it says immediately he regained his sight and began following Jesus on the way. And that's a, that's a phrase that's in the book of Mark over and over and over and over. And it's this, it's this literary device. It's a short way of saying there's a way of Jesus that he's calling us all into. The vineyard, our church, this community is called to be a community of mercy. This is part of our DNA. It's part of our DNA. What does that look like? Well, we're supposed to forgive those who've wronged us and wronged those we love. We're supposed, we're supposed to forgive them 70 times 7. That doesn't mean we have to trust them. I'm not saying that as a joke. I'm saying that seriously. And we could talk about some of the, the particulars of forgiveness. But we have to be willing to forgive the way we've been forgiven. And sometimes it's hard to forgive people who've hurt the people you love. You know, you, it's easier to forgive someone who's hurt you than someone who's hurt someone you love. But we're supposed to forgive both of them. 
whether they ask forgiveness or not. We forgive because forgiveness is really more for us. It's a fool that doesn't forgive. If you don't forgive, you're drinking poison and thinking it's going to kill the other person. Forgiveness is what frees you from the sin that they've committed against you or sins. Forgiveness is what breaks the chains of their sins against you. We have to forgive. And then we have to give what is costly to us. If we're going to be a community that's a community of mercy, and uh, where's uh, is Brandon? You still in here somewhere? Is Brandon running around? Someone get Brandon for me. He's, he's going to come, come back in. Find him. Thank you. If we're going to be a community of mercy, we have to give what's costly to us. Our time, our energy, our money. We have to give it. And who do we give it to? We give it to those who are far from God. If we're going to be a community of mercy, we're going to give it to people who are far from God, A, and to the poor. And the poor encompasses a, a, a whole range of people. But the word poor in the Bible included poor, widows, the elderly, children, uh, outsiders, immigrants, uh, prisoners, the sick, you name it. I mean, it's just a huge, huge swath of people. And it's all the people generally who can't give us anything back. Isn't this like God? The people who are far from God, if we show them mercy, are they going to give us anything back? Nope. If we love all the people who don't have anything, can they give us anything back? No. That's why mercy is costly. But I want to encourage you something. This is the miracle of the kingdom of God. In this world, there's a zero-sum gain kind of a system that we live in. If I give something away in this world, I don't have it anymore. So I am reluctant to give it away. That's the way things work. I mean, even people who are billionaires who are giving away huge sums of money, they're not giving it all away. Have you noticed that? I mean, if you got $40 billion and you give away $39 billion, you're not, you're not in the paper clipping coupons the next week. Are you? See, when we, when we don't believe that there's a God who's shown us that He's available in Christ and that He can put something in the system that isn't there, that He has resources that can come into this system and into our life that we don't have or that we need, when He calls us to show mercy, if we don't believe that, we won't show mercy. Or we'll do it when it's convenient. But here's the promise I want you to walk away with. The story of Bartimaeus tells us this. It goes back to the Beatitudes. And Jesus said this. He made this promise about this adventure that he called all the people that followed him to join him in. Jesus proved this promise perfectly, completely. It's what makes us fall in love with him because we see God working in him. And then we see God working through him in our lives when we 
embrace him and his way. Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. In other words, showing mercy is costly. It's hard. And when you've been given mercy, it doesn't mean it's not hard still. But when you show it, all of a sudden, more mercy comes for you that you didn't expect when you least expect it in a way you least expect. And the world is living in this zero-sum game bogus system. And the world is looking for communities like us to say, we don't believe you have to live that way. We believe in mercy. And we believe if we're showing you mercy, it's because we've received mercy. We want you to receive that mercy. And so we're going to show you how it works. We're going to give what's costly to us so that it primes the pump of your life. So you believe that there's hope, that there's something different. Because that's how people start coming towards Jesus, is they get a little hope from someone who knows Jesus who risked it. Blessed are the merciful. The people who are giving out what's hard to give because they will receive mercy. And every day I, I talk to different ones of you, almost every day and I hear stories of how you guys are living that out. And it's encouraging to me. But there is a whole adventure that God wants to take each of us in and together as a church. But you have to leave your cloak to go on that adventure with Jesus, to go on the way. And you may think, I'm not blessed. I think you are, but I think maybe what Jesus is trying to get you to see is you're not being merciful. You're not being merciful enough. You're living in this zero-sum game, bogus system. And I want to just ask you to join and embrace our, our vision, our call, our DNA to keep being a community of mercy, of mercy to the poor. You know, these little boxes are just a simple little way. It's not, it doesn't cost us anything. But there are things that we can do in the city that will cost us a lot, cost us more than it is now. And I believe that there's an adventure of mercy that God's asking us to come on. So I want, I want you to stand with me. We're just going to close with this song. The same one that we sang earlier on uh, uh, It's Oceans. Someone pop it on. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we see we need your mercy in a new way. That just like that beggar, we're just beggars, we're blind. We're self-centered. We've hurt you. We've hurt other people. And we've lived in this bogus world system. We've embraced its values. And Lord, that cloak, the, the blind man's cloak, just represents what we've held on to so tenaciously and foolishly. And Jesus, thank you that you showed us that if we lose our lives, 
for you we find our lives. And today we ask you to forgive us for holding on to our lives and holding on to our mercy and holding on to the mercy that you've so poured out on us. Forgive us for that, Lord. Forgive us for not being merciful to the people that have hurt us and the people that have hurt those that we love. And the, and the poor, Lord, forgive us for not showing your mercy to the poor and to those that are far from you. Lord, we ask today that you would just take us by the hand, just like the blind man held his hands out and people helped him come to you. We ask that you'd help us to meet you and hear your word of mercy to us. We don't want to live this way anymore, Lord. We don't want to beg. We don't want to hurt you and others. We want to enter into your life, Jesus. We want to join this adventure. And so here and now, we open our heart up to you. And we say, Lord, take over. Take over, Jesus. May your spirit come and, and fill us again and enter our lives in a fresh way this morning. And begin to guide us on this, this journey of showing mercy and, and playing with the currency of the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.